John 15, starting in verse 26 today, the Spirit helps in times of persecution. We are in a section of the Gospel of John in which Jesus is saying his farewell to his disciples. And here at the end of this, he is once again seeking to bring comfort to them as he tells them of the coming Holy Spirit. He has mentioned this previously, as we will see, but he also mentions it again here. And he is saying it in the context here of also telling them that they will suffer for his name's sake. And so we keep that in mind as we read this this morning. In fact, our New Testament scripture reading will begin back where we were at the beginning of our sermon last week in John chapter 15 and verse 18. So if you're able to, would you please stand with me as I read aloud and you follow along. John chapter 15 and verse 18, reading through to chapter 16 and verse 4 to give us the context of our sermon this morning. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, "If the, this is Jesus speaking, of course, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as it, lo- as it loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You may be seated. That is the reading of God's Word in the New Testament, as it has also been read in the Old Testament out loud. May it be a blessing to us in both. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we need your help this morning, and we trust that your Spirit who inspired these words in the original autographs will now as well, for those of us who are in Christ, illuminate our eyes and our hearts to an understanding of these truths. Lord, we believe that your Spirit is indwelling all of us who are in Christ, and uh, that is a, a wonderful thought this morning, a wonderful truth that there is not um, separate, there are not separate spirits indwelling us. There's one spirit who indwells those who are in Christ who sit in this room, and that is an encouragement and a comfort. Lord, may He comfort us indeed and help us and convict us of sin. And I pray as well that He would convict those who do not know you through the word preached this morning, that those who do not know you would come to faith in Christ and a realization of their need of Christ because of their sin, and they would turn from their sin and trust. In Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection alone. 
and that they would become yours today. Lord, help us. Lord, get me out of the way. Continue to humble me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you know that comfort can be an idol? Comfort can be an idol. There is nothing inherently wrong with comfort, but it can be an idol. And to be honest with you, it is an idol for me. I like being comfortable. This afternoon, probably I will go into the basement of our home, lie on the couch, put on some sort of movie, and fall asleep. I like to be comfortable. One dictionary defines comfort as a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. We talk about things like comfort food or how a couch or chair are uncomfortable. Again, there is nothing wrong with being physically at ease or being free from pain or constraint, to use the definition of the dictionary. The problem is when we expect or demand that this is our state continually, and we begin to worship the state or the things or situations that keep us perpetually in that state of comfort. Indeed, there is a sense in which the idea of comfort is good, actually. In a second definition of the same dictionary, it states that comfort is the easing or alleviation of a person's feelings of grief or distress, or a person or thing that helps to alleviate a difficult situation. So again, the idol of comfort is a problem, but comfort in and of itself can be a good thing. Knowing, however, that it is truly impossible for anyone to achieve a perfect state of comfort and rather that there are many times where there needs to be an alleviation of pain or distress, we see the need of comfort. Someone or something that can alleviate that grief and distress. Again, this can actually come in the forms of harmful things when we turn to sinful ways of alleviating Grief and distress such as substance abuse, sexual immorality, or even when we make food that idol of comfort. In fact, when we turn to these or or many other things as the means by which we receive comfort ultimately, not not, uh, marginally, but ultimately, they end up actually creating more grief and stress because they cannot truly fulfill that idea of comfort. But isn't it interesting that God promises us a comforter and a helper in the sending of His Holy Spirit? In kind of a parenthetical way, as Jesus began talking about His leaving and His disciples, uh, leaving His disciples, He speaks of the Holy Spirit coming to them. First in John 14:25 through 26 he says, "These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither, uh, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, I will come to you." At the beginning of this idea of his leaving, what does he comfort them with? I am sending the Holy Spirit. Some translations call the Spirit our comforter, others our helper, or even our advocate. 
The word in the original is meant to convey one who is called to someone's aid. And so as Jesus begins to talk about his leaving of his disciples, he says, here is one who is coming to your aid as you feel the grief and distress of of, of me leaving. And here at the end of his farewell, this parenthetical idea, he speaks of the Holy Spirit coming because he has just given them another reason they will need him. As Jesus leaves, they will not only not have him with them, but they will endure suffering and persecution for his name. So at the beginning of this, in in, in New Testament studies, we call this an inclusio. He talks about the Holy Spirit at the beginning saying, I'm leaving. But here at the end, he's saying, and as I leave, you will endure suffering and persecution and hatred because of my name. But inclusio end here, the Holy Spirit is coming. Do not forget. The Holy Spirit is coming. They need to once again be reminded that they will not be left alone, but that the Spirit will be sent from the Father and the Son as their aid. One who is called to someone's aid. Well, here's the main idea this morning. It's written for you on the back of your worship folder. If you happen to be tuning in on the live stream, this is emailed to you if you're on our email list. We will suffer for the sake of Christ, and that is a Reminder from last week, we will suffer for the sake of Christ, but he does not leave us alone. He does not leave us alone. Two ways this morning, Jesus reminds his disciples and us that we will suffer, but not do so alone. That's what I want us to see. Two ways Jesus reminds his disciples and us that we will suffer, but we will not suffer alone. And in one sense, we can understand that in the sense of the community, the the body of Christ, that we will not suffer alone because we are covenant members of one another, but who indwells all those who are in Christ. It is His Spirit who comforts us in a greater way and in such a way as to mutually allow us to comfort one another as well. So firstly, we see the witness of Christ's followers is aided by the Spirit in verses 26 and 27. Look at these again with me. But when the Helper comes, again, he's already defined that the Helper is the Spirit, back in chapter 14. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In the midst of telling his apostles about the hatred and persecution that they will endure, Jesus brings comfort of the one he and the Father will send as their helper, none other than the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. No doubt in the midst of hearing how they will endure hatred and suffering at the hands of the world, they must also have been thinking about Jesus' words that he is leaving them. I mean, can you imagine? Here is the one they have walked with for uh, three and a half years almost, and he has been their guide. He has been uh, the one whom they have uh, followed, not only in what he has said, but uh, seeking to follow in his footsteps, as it were. And he says, I'm leaving you. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with the Spirit. But he says other things. And then at the end, he says, but you're going to endure hatred and persecution. But Lord, you're, you're, you're leaving us. You're leaving us. Uh, we have... We have been around when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and 
The religious leaders have called you out and called us out for breaking the Sabbath and, and these kinds of things. And, and you always know the right thing to say, Lord. What will happen when you go? What will happen when you are no longer with us? And these things begin to happen to us. He has indeed already told them that he and the Father are sending a helper. John fourteen sixteen and verse 26. Now he brings up this truth again. Using the same idea, but in the context of persecution. Now I must point out to you a key theological concept that we see here. That helps us understand uh, the way in which the eternal Godhead relates to one another in eternity. And how that is outworked in time. He says in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit is sent both from the Father and the Son. We call this in theology uh, the, eternal, the doctrine of eternal relation of spiration. This is the doctrine that the Father who is unbegotten And the Son who is eternally begotten, both spirate or eternally breathe out the Spirit. Eternally, notice those phrases, it's very important. And then what is eternally true comes to be in history. So the the Father who is unbegotten, the Son who is eternally begotten, is sent from the Father into the world. It, It could not be the Father or the Spirit who took on humanity to stand in our place It had to be the Son. That eternal reality of relation comes true in space and time. Christ puts on humanity and He is begotten of a virgin in space and time. The eternal Son puts on frail humanity as we'll be thinking of and singing of as we come to the Advent here in in a bit. But just as We'll see in a couple of chapters here, it says that the Son returns to His glory. And that's really hard to understand because we believe that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is existing in glory with the Father even as He puts on humanity. Uh, we'll worry about that when we get to that. But, but there's this idea of the consummation of His mission that He goes uh, with His in flesh humanity, back to the Father and is ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But as His earthly mission comes to an end, who is then sent on mission, as it were? It is the Spirit, the one who the Father and the Son eternally breathe out. He now comes to be the Helper. This comes to be true in history. The Holy Spirit is sent from the Father and Son into the world to comfort those who are Christ's. And you recall, as um, at the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus says to his uh, apostles, receive the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He breathes on them. Now, I don't think that in that moment they receive the Holy Spirit. I think it is a, a signification, a sign of what will happen at Pentecost. He is he is simply physically expressing. This breathing of the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit comes at Pentecost. And who does He indwell first? The apostles. There is a, there is a sign. It is not tongues of fire, but is as if tongues of fire are upon their heads. 
signifying miraculously that they have received the Holy Spirit. And then what happens at Pentecost? God in his grace and mercy, through the witness, pay attention to that word, it's important for this passage, through the witness of the apostles, then has the Spirit come upon the early church. And what do we see all throughout the book of Acts? We see that evidence of true conversion coming in the Spirit upon people. What's the, what's the um, condition that as the Jews are thinking about Gentiles coming to faith in Christ? Like, wait a minute, I thought this was a Jewish thing. Well, <laughs> the same thing that happened to the Jews happened to the Gentiles, Peter r- replies. I saw the Holy Spirit um, fall on them the same way that he fell on us, and so therefore they must be a part. It's the sign of the early church, the foundation of the early church. Well, how does this help us understand the ministry of the Spirit in the world to believers in this context? Well, let's look at what it says. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So, one, he bears witness about him. But in concert with that, verse 27 you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Namely, he, the Spirit, bears witness about Christ. Remember, Jesus spoke earlier of the hatred and persecution that comes from the world despite his what words and works. Despite his words and works, they, they are given those And rather than receiving Jesus' words and his works as evidences of him being uh, eternal God and the the Messiah, they reject him. That's why he says they would have not been guilty of sin from their perspective, but they have no excuse now. He has come and spoken and he has acted. And they can't deny it. And what does Jesus say about that earlier? We just read it. They do not know Jesus and therefore they do not know who? The Father, right? But there is still hope. There is still hope. The Spirit comes to bear witness about Christ. Later in John chapter 16 and verse 13, we will see Jesus say, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will, into all truth, forgive me, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He doesn't speak of his own authority because he is not an authority by himself. He is triune. He is one of the members of the Godhead. It is the authority of God. Father, Son, and Spirit by which He speaks. And He is the one, excuse me, He is the one who reminds the apostles of all truth and brings conviction to the world about sin and righteousness. And it is in this reminding the apostles of all truth by the Spirit in which they also bear witness. Notice again, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. They have been with him from the beginning of his earthly ministry. What are they bearing witness to or about? That Jesus is the eternal son of God. That he is the Messiah. That he is the one who saves his people from their sins. He is the lamb of God. They will bear witness about this. What will Christ commission the apostles to do? They are to go into all the world and make disciples of 
uh, men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation, baptizing them, the entry right into the faith once one has believed, and teaching them all that he has taught them. Doctrine. What he has taught them. What has he taught them? I am that I am. He uses the Old Testament name for God as himself. He is eternally God. Also, what else has he taught them? I am the promised one. Genesis 3.15. The seed of Abraham. The seed who uh, is, uh, <clears throat> brings righteousness into the world. And he has also told them, as they do this, they will endure persecution. Richard Phillips reminds us that the word for witness and martyr are the same word in the original language. Those who bear the name of Christ, the name synonymous with Yahweh, will endure suffering, hatred, and persecution. And it is by the Spirit that they will witness about Him and perhaps be martyred because of it. The word witness and the word martyr are the same word. In what sense do we... Amen, that's right. In what sense do we who are in Christ bear His name? Well, namely, we are in Him because of His grace. He has saved us through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have turned from our sin to Him and trusted in Him. This is the good news, and it is for His namesake that we endure, even if we suffer and die for the name of Christ. We have great examples of this in our past, do we not? Think of Paul's words in the letter to the Philippian church. What does he say? I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What kind of a deliverance? Well, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that uh, with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What kind of deliverance did he know could be? He could be delivered from prison, but he could be delivered through death. And then he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul dies that martyr's death, by the way, likely beheaded. Even though he made an appeal through his citizenship as a Roman citizen, he still lost his life for the name of Christ. Or the earthly church martyrs such as Ignatius of Antioch who said, now I begin to be a disciple. Notice he says, now I begin to be a disciple. When, Ignatius, let fire and cross, flocks of beasts, broken bones, dismemberment come upon me so long as I attain to Jesus Christ. And he is put to death for his faith in Christ. He says, when I die for Christ, then I begin to become a disciple. Or Polycarp, who upon learning of his imminent death by being burned to death, stated, that while the proconsul's fires last but a little while, the fires of judgment reserved for the ungodly, he slyly added, cannot be quenched. Your fire that you're going to burn me with is only for a moment. He's still preaching the gospel, but the eternal fire of judgment is upon those who do not turn to Christ. Polycarp concluded, but why do you delay Come do what you will. When he heard of his imminent death, he asked them, Why do you delay? Come and get me. Soldiers then grabbed him to nail him to a stake. But Polycarp stopped them. Leave me as I am. 
For he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. End quote. It is only through the help of the Holy Spirit that one, ones could say such things at, even as they faced imminent death. It is the Spirit who is sent to aid the apostles in their distress as they carry out what Christ has called them to do. And it is the Spirit who does the same for us. The apostles' commission is ours as well. And it is by the Spirit that we accomplish that which Christ has called us to do. Even as we will inevitably face hatred and persecution and possibly death in being faithful to that call. We proclaim the gospel of Christ even to those who desire to hate and persecute us and perhaps kill us. We proclaim that we too would hate and reject the triune God if it were not for God's grace. It is because of the apostles' faithfulness to this commission that, in fact, we are in Christ. As the Spirit worked through them to accomplish this task. And we must accomplish the task of making Christ known to every tribe, tongue, and nation, as God would give us the grace to do that. It comes with a cost. It may cost us lots of things, ultimately our life. But who is our hope in life or death? Christ alone. Christ alone, as we sang earlier. He is our only confidence. Christ alone. Christ alone. If you've not placed your trust in Christ, please understand that the comfort that you seek in this life is only temporary and you may live it to the fullest. Honestly, you may. Read Psalm 73 and see how the psalmist saw the people in the world around him. Said they, they are so wealthy. They are so um, engorged on the things of this world, that it actually comes out of their eyes. It's kind of a gross image. And he said, why do I, why do I keep myself pure? Surely I have done that in vain. He says this, but then I remembered their end. Dear friends, you may engorge yourself on the things of this world, and it may be satisfying even up until the end of your life. But it will not be eternally satisfying. I, I, I beg you, I plead with you, turn from your sin and trust in Christ. We're going to have one of our elders up here at the end of our service. We're, we're not done. Some, some people think that signals we're done. We still have point two. But I want to plead with you to think about this as we continue on in this sermon. What is it worth? Turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone. Jesus then moves on to the purpose of why he has told them these things in our second and last point for this morning. Secondly, the witness of Christ's followers will cost them. The witness of Christ's followers will cost them. Look again at verses 1 through 4. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, that's a... The hour is coming when, when whoever kills you, not if whoever kills you, when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. 
Why has he told them this? First, he says, so that they would not fall away. The idea here in the original is not about apostasy, that they would fall away from the faith, but rather one of falling into sin. Falling into sin. What sin might they fall into? Well, it seems to be the context implies disobedience first for fear of excommunication or possibly later even death. Because what does he say? I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. That's excommunication. What's the big deal? This is a marker of being a Jew. The, the town that you live in is literally centered around the synagogue. The synagogue is in the center, just like it would have been in the Israelite camps with the tabernacle, because that's where God lives. And you wake up in the morning and, and you open your door, and the first thing you see is, oh yeah, God is here. They believe the Spirit presided in those places. John Calvin writes, quote, This was no light offense to disturb their minds, that they were to be banished like wicked men from the assembly of the godly, or at least of those who boasted that they were the people of God. In other words, as Christ says here, they truly are not those who are of God because they didn't know the Father or the Son, but they think that they do. And because of that, you will be banished, you will be excommunicated from the synagogue. We have this kind of fear recorded in the Bible, this fear of being put out or being excommunicated. Think of Peter's incident with the Judaizers uh, who were insisting that the Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised. What does Peter do? Fearing the Jews of the circumcision, he stopped eating with the Gentile as, Gentiles, as Paul relays in Galatians 2, 11 and 12. And, and Paul confronts him. He says, Peter, you being a Jew, of course you're circumcised, but we're going to now require that of the Gentiles? That's not at all what we require. And there's a discussion of it in Acts chapter 15. And the church decides that there is no need of that. It's a work. It doesn't need to happen in order for them to be reconciled to God. But what does Peter do? He shrinks away for fear of the um, Jerusalem Jews. He was fearful, perhaps, that he would be ridiculed. He may have been fearful that his association with the Gentiles would bring harm to the church in other places. And it would have. It ultimately did. Persecution is inevitable. So how did, by the way, how did God through the Spirit admonish Peter through Paul? Remember I said it is in the community of the saints that we experience this by the Spirit and by one another and through one another. And this, does this just blow your mind? The middle of verse 2. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. What? They will kill you and think that they are offering service to God. Because the Jews did not understand the fulfillment of the law in Jesus, they would think they are doing what is righteous by killing Christians. This is what Paul thought, by the way. Take your finger and put it in John 16 and, and turn over to Acts. It's a right-hand turn in your Bible. Acts chapter 22. Keep your finger in, in John uh, 15, 16, that in their area there. In uh, Acts chapter 22... 
<laughs> I love this. Look at verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. He's, Paul's having to give his testimony. He's having to defend himself. And when, when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. He starts talking to them in the Jewish language. And, oh, okay. Listen to what he says. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictest manner of law of our fathers, being, listen, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding them and delivering them to prison both men and women, as the high priests and whole council of elders can bear me witness." What did Paul think he was doing? You can turn back over to John. What did Paul think he was doing? He said, I'm zealous for God. In doing what? In putting to death Christians. In, in taking letters to make sure that they are to be bound and thrown in prison. Paul said, I, I thought I was doing God's service. Of course, we know the rest of the story. He goes on to say in Acts there, of course, I was on my way to deliver these letters to have these Christians locked up. And Jesus encounters me, or I encounter him rather, on the road to Damascus, on my way there. And what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And why do you kick against the goads? What does he mean? <laughs> Paul is feeling the conviction of the Spirit. Paul is continuing on in his legalism and what he thinks is obedience to God. And Jesus says, you're persecuting me, Saul. The people that you are killing. I mean, this is a, this is a, um, a fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gives in John here. You're throwing them in prison and you're killing them. But it's me that you're doing that to. They bear my name. What does Paul say? Who are you, Lord? This can be no one but God who's speaking this to him. They think that they are doing what is righteous by killing you. They think they are offering service to God. And Jesus gives the reason. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They don't. They don't actually know me, so they, they aren't rendering service to God because they have no connection with the true God. They have no connection with me. The second reason Jesus gives is in the sending of the Spirit is so that when the hour of these things come, they might remember that he has told them about those things. He's saying, I'm letting you know this now. Because this is surely coming, and I want you to remember these things. And now, this reminder is ringing in our ears today. And though we are to be comforted by the Spirit, even as we know persecution is imminent, we are not to seek persecution by being pugnacious. Even though this comfort comes, we're not running after persecution. Persecution is imminent. We don't need to be in your face in some way, other than pro proclaiming the gospel. Think of Peter's words in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Let me just read these to you. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So Paul is, is saying, make a defense, but notice how he says to do it. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Jesus tells us we will be hated, we will be persecuted, perhaps even put to death. We don't need to ask for it. It's coming. And when someone comes along and sees us pursuing what God has called us to do in the making of disciples, in the pursuing of loving him and loving our neighbor, and they call us evil for doing that, their accusation won't stand. In fact, we're to answer with gentleness and reverence to them. This is why I have hope. The hour is coming when we as believers may endure persecution to the degree that our forebears did and even our brothers and sisters around the world do today. It may begin in small ways and it may never reach the degree that it does elsewhere. But let us recall that we are indwelled by the Spirit and that even as He comforts us, we are to take that comfort that we receive and we are to encourage one another with that. We are to point each other in ways of accountability toward that. We are to be those who are like the Spirit and come alongside. Yes, they have the Spirit. We have the same Spirit. We're to lovingly encourage one another and at times lovingly rebuke one another. You know, for the Jewish person who came to faith in Christ in the days of Jesus and the apostles, they would indeed be kicked out of the synagogue and also excommunicated from their families. And all they had was the church. All they had were other believers. Brothers and sisters, it may come to that someday. But all we have is one another. Let's make sure that we're not hanging on to Anything, any bitterness, any sins. Let's make sure that we have a clear conscience before men and God. Let us love one another enough to confront when there's sin, to ask for forgiveness when we've been confronted or we just know we need to reconcile with a brother or sister. Let's walk side by side encouraging each other. We may have to do that under the shroud of darkness someday. But let's continue on in that way. We are also to bear witness as those who are called to the task of making disciples. No matter the cost. No matter the cost. As we bear witness about Christ to a world that Jesus said will hate us. We recall that we have the Spirit bearing witness through us. As we bear witness to them. Just don't forget that the word witness also means martyr. If you are not in Christ, 
My call to you this morning is to turn from your sin and trust in the good news that Christ has suffered and died in the place of sinners and that he has risen again and that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and that he is coming again. And when he comes, it will not be for salvation. It will be for judgment. And then it will be too late. Repent and believe today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask for strength by your spirit this morning that we would live truthfully, that we would live lovingly to the world around us. Lord, our proclamation is one of hope in the gospel. Yes, we tell people that they're sinners just like we are, but there is hope in Christ alone. And unless you are working through your spirit into the hearts of those people, they will hate that message and they will hate us just as they hated you. So give us strength, Lord. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And we have your spirit. Do your work in and through us, Lord, by your spirit. And I pray for those who do not know you, that they would come to know you today through repentance and faith. Lord, I pray that we would be ready to share the gospel with those, even in our midst, and come alongside of those who are believers and comfort them and encourage them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.